you're recording whoops with Miss Mary Thoreau on Tuesday, March 14th, 2023 at 4 or 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, guys, if you want to support the podcast, click on the little red button. It goes to locals. You can support it for like a couple bucks a month for uh, exclusive content. Miss Thoreau, thank you for doing this. And please introduce yourself to my to me. I said please introduce myself. Please introduce yourself to me and my audience. Great. Feel free to call me Mary. Okay. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, um, I am chairman and CEO of the Independent Institute, which is a think tank, though we don't really like that term, as if only people in tanks think. But <clears throat> nevertheless, it's a good shorthand, and it means that we commission studies into issues of pressing public concern, including areas like housing, homelessness, uh, health care, education, national security, and more. Um, our Beyond Homeless project grew out of a policy report we did on housing and homelessness crisis here in California. And we decided, well, really to communicate well our findings and recommendations, we should adapt it into a short documentary that would help people learn to understand just ex who is experiencing homelessness and why, and most importantly, what approaches better address it than when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply being used most in most communities today and from my understanding there is a, a program i think in austin that you that you believe is doing a superb job at this it's actually san antonio <sighs> and we feature it Close in enough. in the in the documentary beyond homeless finding hope um, which by the way anybody can watch on demand on our website beyondhomeless.org and that's for anybody <clears throat> listening that links in the description great um, yes, yeah, San Antonio, uh, in about 2000, well, the 2006, 2008, um, a local oil man saw a special about homelessness on TV and became very concerned about the problem and uh, called up the mayor the next day, who, by the way, was a Democrat and the oil man had opposed his election. But uh, the two of them came together across political divides and the community spent two years. They formed a task force with representatives from every sector, the activists, the nonprofits, the public sector, the private sector. And they looked at programs all across the country to see who, what best practices were, and then talked to members of the homeless community and others in their community to develop a strategy for how to tackle it in San Antonio. And in 2010, they opened a 22-acre campus called Haven for Hope, which provides a really holistic um, <clears throat> solution to every individual who's experiencing homelessness there. And 12 years later, it's continuing to do tremendous work. They've seen downtown unsheltered homelessness decline by almost 80%. Uh, Countywide, it's down by 11%. And while everywhere else in the country, homelessness has been exploding. So it's a great case study of uh, what should be done versus 
as opposed to what is being done almost everywhere else. Could you maybe explain why it's so successful? I, I have a friend, uh, <clears throat> ex-military special forces, who went out and was doing security, I think in San Francisco this time last year, because there was some law passed where you could steal up to $900 of merchandise and not be arrested. So the malls or the big department stores were like, if the cops aren't going to do the job, we're just going to hire essentially private police. And he he would send me videos and he would say this is this is the most inhumane thing because these laws aren't helping anyone. They're hurting these people. It's, you know, like a parent not disciplining a child. Like ultimately, in the long run, you're screwing them over. And that's what he said. It was, it was heartbreaking to see because all this was doing was enabling this behavior. Right. So it's there's very simplistic thinking, uh, which homelessness, by the way, is also the policies around homelessness are also the result of very simplistic thinking. But in California, uh, building on things like the defund police movement, which people think if you have fewer police, you have less police violence and surprise uh, communities that are most vulnerable, see a huge upsurge in, in crime uh, and want the police. We had a really interesting demonstration here, and I live in Oakland, California, which is, has a large African-American population. And the uh, black community held a rally in our main sort of, it's our central park, it's Lake Merritt, in support of the police. And the uh, Black Lives Matter liberals came showing up with their placards, defund the police, and there was a huge confrontation between the black community and these mostly white liberals who are who are uh, marching to defund the police, <laughs> completely at odds. The black community wants the police to help keep them safe. Um, similarly, very simplistic thinking that if you decriminalize petty crime, you'll have less pe fewer people in prisons, and uh, it'll be more equitable somehow, more just to not be criminalizing people who steal up to $950. So we voters passed two propositions, Prop 47 and Prop 57, which decriminalize, well, it makes uh, stealing up to $950 value a misdemeanor. So effectively, the police won't even bother with it because, you know, misdemeanor. And also makes open use of drugs uh, legal. The net effect has been the now crime way over the $950 limit is just usual. Uh, they're armed <clears throat> mass robberies of high-end stores, smash and grab car uh, thieving is just expected. If you park in San Francisco, expect your car is going to be, the window is going to be smashed and whatever's inside is going to be taken. Um, stores just routine people just walk into stores and walk out with what they want and nobody nobody even tries to stop them uh, so consequently the smaller stores that can't afford such losses have closed many of the larger stores uh walgreens and so on have pulled out of the city which means that it's now even more of a retail desert for the people who need those large shops that offer lower costs to them than these corner stores um, and then it's destroyed the retail scene in San Francisco, our vibrant Union Square, where the high-end department stores and specialty stores are. Uh, people won't go there anymore. But they 
They can't, they don't want to park in the garage there because their car is going to be smashed up. They don't want to go in the stores there because these thugs come in and, and wreak havoc. So it's just, it's utterly destroying um, the city's retail scene. The Castro Valley Merchants Association uh, came up last year and told the city, we're not going to pay our property taxes anymore because you're not providing services. <laughs> and so the, some of the other uh, merchant associations have followed suit. So the city is getting a little uh, <clears throat> paying attention. There was a recall of our very liberal district attorney last year and the new district attorney in San Francisco, uh, who's a black woman, is being much tougher on crime, is actually prosecuting people and trying to cut down on crime. Uh, but we still have a huge shortage in the police. And frankly, the police's hands are tied because there's no point in arresting uh, people when you can't bring a charge against them more than misdemeanor. And the open drug scenes are just left to run. Even if they do arrest, the dealers are uh, Central American kids that these cartels bring up by the dozens and put out in the streets to sell their drugs. So it doesn't matter if one of them gets arrested. They've got, you know, a couple dozen more in the back room ready to send out. Um, so it's just the, the streets have been turned over to drug dealers. The stores are shuttered or empty. Um, and it's it's very, very sad. As I say at the beginning of the documentary, when I first came out here, in the 70s, you know, this everybody wanted to come to San Francisco. It was the most vibrant, hope-filled, uh, exciting place of opportunity. And it's really distressing to see uh, the conditions today. So that's why we're trying to put forth solutions that can help restore the civil society that everyone can enjoy, the public spaces that everyone can enjoy, and that will also actually help those individuals who are suffering from homelessness who do need help. Um, brilliant answer. Um, I guess <clears throat> part of me, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, ideas <clears throat> of socialism and communism are inherently brain dead, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not willing to completely just write off that they're stupid and they don't understand what's going on. Like this very, speaking for myself only, they they see what's going on and just thinking i guess machiavellianly i guess in a machiavellian manner if i wanted total control i would remove all the guardrails of of, of safety and law and order and commerce i would let it fall or collapse for a period of time and then you would have people begging for the heavy hand of the state and or federal government and again i i do think that i do think the people in charge with these socialist ideologies and kind of dreamy ideas i think i think they are stupid but i don't believe that someone in the upper echelons of government there is is unaware it's just it's it's impossible for me to believe that they're unaware of what they're doing do you have any comment on that well, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're well-intentioned. Sure. Uh, they're, they're, they're operating under a, philosoph a philosophy and a set of a narrative 
um, that lays out this theory of uh, how you order society, what uh, what policies work well, and despite all evidence to the contrary, will just essentially think, well, it could be made to work if only we, you know, went further, spent more money on it, uh, had more power to enact our our. How it our philosophy and so on. And the problem with people in, in the public sphere is they just face perverse incentives. So uh, bureaucrats who are mostly in charge of the government, you know, politicians come and go, but bureaucrats stay forever. Um, bureaucrats get rewarded the worst problems get. When you think about it, they get a, if if a problem is growing, they get more money and larger staffs to deal with it. So, in a way, you can't blame them. They 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 have this theory, and they're they're throwing money at it. They're throwing people at it. Uh, they're putting their resources to it, and and even though it's not working, they just double down on well, if with with enough money, with enough staff, you know, if we could really enact the policy completely, uh, it would work. It's like the shutdowns during COVID. <laughs> You know? yeah. Okay, we've been shut down. It's not getting better. Oh well, if we could just shut down more, shut it, down it would work. Yeah, uh, yeah, shut it down harder. Shut down everything. Uh, you know, it just if a shutdown doesn't work, which they knew, you know, in two thousand six they'd done studies showing that shutdowns don't work. But you know, if you if you think they're going to, and they're not, you just say, well, we have to do the more. And that's with all of these policies. If if what you're doing isn't working. You don't learn from it. You just think, well, you're not doing it hard enough. Yeah, which and they and then the 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 ultimate result is the same as under your scenario, whether or not you know they're intending that they're going to grab all the power um, and and so on, or whether it's just a side effect of this approach. The end is the same. It's you know growing tyranny and totalitarianism um, unless we can successfully fight and, and show enough people. And optimist, I'm very optimistic because San Franciscans by and large are waking up to this. They're seeing that for 40 years, the government has told them, just give us more money, pay your taxes and we'll solve this problem. And they have done so. And every bond initiative that came up, they've passed every you know, Prop 47, Prop 57, they sounded really great theory, they passed and so on and so forth. And here they are seeing that the problem is just getting worse and worse. And they're starting to really push back and say, look, the status quo is not working. You guys are not solving this. Uh, something has to be done. So I'm quite optimistic that we are going to get a pushback and reversal of the insanity that's been going on here. Yeah, that's a good point. Whether it's uh, whether it's intentional or just by accident, if the end result's the same, it kind of doesn't make any difference. And I do tend to, despite my seeming seemingly dark outlook, I do tend to agree with you and have the same mindset. I do think the average person is well intentioned, but I mean, just a his you know a history of the twentieth century shows what happens so we just got to try it harder we just got to try it harder well now we just have to do it at gunpoint and then next thing you know there's another 10 million bodies and ditches from a communist revolution and everyone goes well that wasn't real communism and it 
that's where it eventually goes. If you just have to do it harder and harder and harder, it it eventually ends with genocide, collapse, and then, well, that wasn't real communism. And luckily, I, I don't think that, knock on wood, I don't think that can happen here because of the Second Amendment, but... I guess there, I guess there, there is still hope if, if, if you say San Francisco, San Franciscans, San Franciscoites, however you say it, if Siskins, uh huh, Siskins, okay, if they're, if they're waking up to it, what, what changes has the, uh, uh, whoever was recalled? Excuse me, I'm having a, a brain fart. Uh, who was recalled? The DA. The DA. What? So what changes are is the new DA bringing in? She's per, she's prosecuting criminals, oh, and right. the Hell former yeah. D, the former DA did not. Okay. Um, they that'll, also that'll there was also it. a recall of the there was also a recall of the school board. <laughs> um, so during COVID, you know, the San Francisco sh- schools were shut down, and parents wanted schools opened, and the school board was spending all its time worrying about renaming schools that were politically incorrect. <laughs> so, <laughs> parents for uh, thankfully got very upset and had a recall and they recalled the members of the board of uh, the school board. So, you know, there, there are great things happening here. Um, and we see them increasing. So to, to, to tie it in, I suppose, to the topic, which I repeatedly fail to do on every show I do 1100 of them is some immediately straight from the topic. But, um, how, how is, how is homelessness playing into it? Is it that the, uh, homeless people are predominantly responsible for the crime being committed because of their desperate situation. Is that sort of the root cause of it? And if you could maybe erase or lessen that, you wouldn't have, you know, despite the stupid laws and lack of prosecuting, would would that maybe reduce the, I guess, the, the desperation to go and commit a crime? Well, actually, the problem is... It, to start out with, yes, if you're a drug addict and you can steal to support your habit, sure, great, you know. But they don't really have to because they get. We have very generous benefits. Within a month of living in San Francisco, even in the street, you can get more than six hundred dollars worth of benefits monthly. So um, I don't think homelessness is primarily driving uh, crime, though. You do have uh, people who are experiencing homelessness who do have severe mental illness issues that are not being addressed and they can be quite violent. And, and even if they're not being violent, it's, it just creates a very disturbing uh, civic environment to be walking down the street and, and see that there are humans, human beings who are, you know, beloved by God are in the gutter suffering badly And it's very demoralizing, and people feel helpless to do anything about it. They want to do something about it, and you you don't want to get inured to seeing people living like that. Um, so it's a very depressing uh, way to 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 live in a city. Um, but the so the crime is really at this point being driven by organized rings. Uh, so the same kinds of organizations that are running the the drug markets are organizing rings of people to go into stores and steal. And we have a very open, completely open thieves market um, in San Francisco. Every day you could go down there and see all the wares for sale and it's stuff that's just been stolen from 
Walgreens and bicycles that were just stolen and cameras that were just stolen and all kinds of things. And it's just, it's very open. Uh, it's, it's rampant lawlessness. Uh, so uh, it, it needs a lot of, <laughs> needs a lot of addressing. Then why is it that in San Antonio, they've managed to do it differently? Is it just that San Francisco's damned? Well, San Francisco is not alone. I mean, this all came out of federal policy. Yeah. So uh, starting under the Bush administration, but then really doubled down under Obama, federal funding on homelessness shifted completely from emergency shelter and transitional shelter. They took all the money out of that into 100% funding what's called housing first or so-called permanent supportive housing. Under again the very simplistic thinking that well it's homelessness people don't are homeless because they don't have a home so if you give them a home they're not homeless anymore, except it's not homelessness it's uh, people who are very distressed by either substance abuse mental illness or other issues childhood trauma is a huge driver of it um, there are some economic drivers of it as well I like to say there is many reasons for becoming homeless as there are individuals suffering from homelessness. And it's really quite true. It's a very individual situation. And it does not solve by putting somebody into, into a house. Um, now the name housing first and permanent supportive housing implies that there's going to be something second, right? Services, support, uh, the, the attention to the underlying causes. The reality is that all that's being provided is housing and not very much of it because it's very expensive. So you don't have very much housing. The housing that is provided does not have the support of services. So it's not helping. You're leaving, you're making the waiting room, the, the streets, the waiting room for this housing that doesn't exist. And then you put people into housing, you don't address their underlying issues and frequently they'll either die because people living in a room isolated are more likely to overdose because there's nobody nearby to notice that they're overdosing and reverse it, or they'll just, they're not, they're not prepared to live independently. So they end up back in the street. Uh, so it's really an incredibly expensive and futile approach. And yet when Obama introduced this total devotion to housing first in 2013, he declared that by 2023, homelessness in America would have been solved using this approach. Well, 10 years later, when he predicted homelessness would be solved, homelessness instead is up by 47% across the country. Meanwhile, almost every community and the state of California adopted federal policy as state policy. Most other states and most other locales follow the housing first policy. San Antonio did exactly the opposite at about exactly the same time. They shifted 100% of their resources into emergency shelter and transitional housing. And that's produced this incredible decline in homelessness there. So it's a very stark, it's a very easy case setting comparison to make. The rest of the country moved funding from shelter and transitional housing into housing first, homelessness up 47%. San Antonio, 
shifted all of its funding into shelter and transitional housing and shelter homelessness downtown down 77%, countywide down 11%. So <clears throat> it's pretty black and white. Uh, there's not a lot of nuance in that story. Could you, not that you're not explaining it well, you're clearly very well versed on this. From my simpleton mind, could you maybe, because I think I'm getting lost in the, the bureaucratic semantics of it all, the housing okay. first and the transitional housing, the shifting of one to the other and the other to the, what is San Antonio do, doing that is different? Why is the transitional housing better than the housing first? This is And um, they also, in yeah. a, a better term for it is transformational housing. I mean, it's, it's, it's housing that's meant to be a path from homelessness to your being able to live independently. So it's it's residential. They have a 22-acre campus. And if you want to escape from homelessness, you are welcome to come in and they will help you address what your issues are. If it's substance abuse issues, they'll help you with, they'll bring recovery services to you. Um, and again, let me back up a little bit. Haven for Hope is a 22-acre campus, and it has literally everything there that's needed. It has a what's a, called a low-barrier shelter, which means an emergency shelter that if you just want a place to sleep off the street that's safe, but you're not interested in, in giving up your drugs or alcohol, you can come in there and have a, a safe place to sleep, hot meal provided by St. Anthony's, access to showers, uh, mail service, access to healthcare if you need it and so on, but no requirements whatsoever. It's just shelter. Okay. Then the larger part of the campus is called the transformational campus. It's a secure residential place to live. Virtually every nonprofit that has homelessness services in San Antonio is on campus. So all of the services are right there. So when you come in and you say, I'd like help, they sit you down and say, okay, tell us your story. You know, what happened to you? And then they'll make a team, a highly individualized team drawn from these 140 nonprofits to come alongside you and help you with whatever issues you may be experiencing, whether it's substance abuse, um, unaddressed trauma, uh, you've lost your ID, you need more job skills, whatever it may be. And they'll just address it. They'll help you address it one by one until you're ready to go out and live on your own. Permanent supportive housing, which is what the rest of the country is doing to me. First, I hate, I think the term is very dismissive as if you will permanently need support. Yeah. There's no hope for you to move on. Yeah. There's no hope for you to change and become a full person and to achieve your full potential. Um, it's it's very paternalistic, um, as in as is housing first. You know, we're gonna, we're going to give you a house. We're going to warehouse you for the rest of your life in the state you're in. And that's just the way it's going to be. You're going to be a ward of the state forever, and you can wallow in your mental illness and your addiction, and that's just fine. <clears throat> I don't think that's fine. These are human beings who deserve to have the ability to achieve their full 
uh, potential and they deserve to be provided with the means to do so. And there are any number of extremely competent and capable uh, organizations and individuals to do so. But the money is funding is flowing to this flawed theory that a house is going to solve the problem. It does kind of seem like, yeah, the idea of you're never going to get better. And perhaps this is beyond the scope of this podcast, but I guess like a, like a hundred thousand foot view, more zoomed out meta theme is the the eroding of the U.S. manufacturing base over the last 40, 50 years through, you know, I guess globalist, globalist laws and, you know, free trade agreements, as well as more currently, more and more lower level, lower skilled jobs being replaced by automation. So, you know, maybe you're what I'm 32. Maybe I completely fall on my ass and I have to go to one of these shelters and get sober and kind of come out again. I'm probably not going to go on to become like a fighter pilot, but if there is a a plant where I can maybe attach rivets to a car, not to demean that work, but I couldn't I couldn't do that now and I'm doing well. I couldn't operate a power tool. I'd, I'd kill myself and everyone around me. Without those jobs, you know, they just your 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 steel mill, your your car manufacturing, your your whatever. Without those jobs that don't require 20 years of higher education to become a neurosurgeon. It almost seems like there's sort of a glass ceiling to how much better you, you can get, right? You can get sober, you can get your ID, you can get, you know, maybe fix whatever underlying mental illness there is. But if there's not an actual job for you to go out and get, and maybe that's my own flaw in looking at it. Maybe I have too much of a paternalistic view, but do, do you get what I'm saying? Am I getting anywhere near the target? Well, unemployment is a, is an all-time low in the United States, right, and well. unfilled unfilled jobs are at an all-time high. So actually, there's right, lots well, of opportunity. There goes my And point. I work. I also work with the Salvation Army. I'm on the board of several Salvation Armies, um, who provide who is doing workforce development training for people who are either experiencing homelessness or are looking to improve their lives. And so we provide workforce training in culinary arts so that, you know, there are thousands of restaurants in this country and they all need labor. Uh, so we provide culinary training. Uh, we provide construction training for the trades. The trades are desperately short of labor. Um, they're very eager for skilled laborers. So we provide construction training, nurses training. Healthcare is a huge growing um industry, especially as this country ages and desperately needs workers in that. Um, fulfillment, things like Amazon warehouses, they actually pay quite well and it's a good stepping stone to something better. Um, I'm friends with the former president of FedEx Freight. He started as a loader at FedEx. So, you know, they're, they're, these are career path jobs, um, entry-level jobs. There's plenty of work open for people. Uh, and so any any of these workforce development uh, courses is a huge help. And again, that's something that we're working on here in San Francisco to expand capacity of our programs through the Salvation Army to have housing with recovery, with workforce development, with life skills training 
to literally take people from the streets to achieve their full potential and self-sufficiency. Um, again, brilliant answer. So why is it, why, to, again, to my simple understanding, why is it so simply that San Antonio is doing it? But I, I get, I get the entire process, but bigger than that, like why is it, is it hubris that other states aren't doing it is it ego you know my way is better i don't want to admit that they have it right is it because it's an evil oil man who did it is it you know what 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 is it why why is it that's the one that's working how come no one else is getting on board is it as simple as it's my way or the highway or that guy's an idiot i don't like him what is it like that's a really insightful question thank you so much for asking it um it is cultural so in san antonio Again, the the oil man, the Democratic mayor, the community activists, uh, the nonprofits were all able to put aside their differences and admittedly, not without some, I'm not sure how much was carrot and how much was stick because sure. initially the nonprofits did not want to work with Haven. They didn't want to work together. They were very... Uh, wary that if they collaborated with this new undertaking, they'd lose their own budgets, their own donors, um, their own mission. <clears throat> Again, I don't know how much was carrot, how much was stick, you know, if they were maybe told that it, it was either work with the New Haven model or, you know, nobody's going to fund you otherwise. But 10 years later, they're all singing the praises of this. They are all doing better. They love it. They feel as if each is fulfilling its mission better uh, by working in collaboration this way. And they certainly see that they're more effective in helping those who need help. I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head. Hundreds of communities and, and representatives from uh, cities and states across the country have visited Haven. Haven is extremely generous in letting people tour its campus, in telling everybody, whatever they want to know, answering any question, opening completely to outsiders. They would love others to be emulating their, their example. Unfortunately, other places we are, people are siloed. Uh, here in San Francisco, we talk about San Francisco is unique in that it's both a city and a county. So we have not one, but two layers of government and they won't talk to each other. And then not to mention the fact that they won't then go out in the community and talk to the nonprofits. And a lot of the nonprofits are funded by government. So they're doing what government tells them to do. Um, they don't want to rock that boat. People don't want to come out of their silos. They don't want to collaborate. They're afraid of losing the, the little fiefdom they have, the money that they have, the power that they have. And we have to make it <clears throat> somehow, as San Antonio did, you either do you either collaborate or you're out uh, essentially and that's a very tricky thing who can exert that kind of political will well in san antonio this businessman and this mayor together were able to exert that political will in other communities it's going to be a different answer but that's that's the answer that each locale has to come up with is how do you exert the political will to make people collaborate to make people come together on a community-wide basis to solve their problems. And you know, it's a very American model. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, de Tocqueville and democracy in America. I recognize uh, but the de name, that's about it. 
So Alexis de Tocqueville was a young French aristocrat. He came to America in 1830 to study the the penal system of all things, our 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 jail system and so on. But when he was here, he started noticing how peculiar we Americans are that we didn't have a strong central government. Uh, we didn't have central power that took care of people or provided welfare or anything like that. Instead, you had these communities, these what he called associations, that would come together to meet every need, to build a school, to build a library, to build hospitals, to take care of people who needed taken care of, to form mutual aid societies and so on. In America, we're, the traditional American model is for individuals and networks in communities to come together to solve our own problems. Uh, with the rise of the state in the 20th century and progressivism with the myth that these are not problems that individuals can solve, you, the government has to solve them. Uh, we've lost sight of that tradition and to the to the impoverization of not only our communities, but you know the impo literal impoverization of our uh, citizens of being being in the streets. It's a direct result of that myth that the government will take care of you. They won't take care of you. They'll take your money and they'll let you suffer. Now, to at the risk of you and myself being hypocritical, the the political will to to make people do what San Antonio is doing, how does one do that but not be the very thing you and I were calling out earlier, where if you just apply more pressure and make them do it harder, then the idea will, right? Because I, I feel like just my own, it seems like a, a logical incongruity to myself is, we'd be saying the same thing, right? It'll it'll work if we just push harder, if we just make it work harder. Ideally, it should flourish on its own, right? If it's if it is the the most efficient model, it should flourish on its own. Or is that yeah, my and own by political and by political will, I don't mean politics. I mean you know the polity, which is actually just sort of um, us, right? The community, the people. Gotcha. So the question is, is overcoming the status quo and who can exert, call it a, you know, uh, civic influence. Uh, so traditionally we've had civic leaders who often would be a business figure or other, or other community figure who would organize the charities that took care of things, um, would organize the the civic groups that would come together. You know, we, we had a rich tradition of civic groups that, 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 and you see some of it remaining in things like the Shriners and Rotary Club and other things like that. But it used to be huge. I mean, everybody belonged to one or several um, civic organizations and spent a lot of their life uh, as, as being a part of that and being part of the community. And the great, the other great thing about doing it that way versus the political way is when you are involved in, like if I'm involved in, in talking to someone who's experiencing homelessness and helping um, <clears throat> uh, direct them to the services that might be available from the Salvation Army or otherwise, I get to know that person, and I come to realize that that person is just is just the same as I am. They just had some very unfortunate circumstances in their lives. The people I interviewed for my documentary, you know, they tell me about their childhoods, 
which yeah. are just horrendous. And I thought there, but for the grace of God, go I, if I'd had a childhood like that, I'd be in the streets sure. using heavy drugs as well. Um, so that's a very important part of our missing out on, on this traditional uh, civic organization. Instead, the government has stepped in and created a, a divide between us and them. So to us, they say, pay your taxes and we will take care of them. And we've come to believe that we're different. You know, somehow I'm different from that person. I could, I would never be in the street yeah. using drugs. Clearly there's something wrong with that person. Um, and that's just not true. So that's a very important part of it. So by, by, by political will, I really just mean uh, civic will. So as a civic leader bringing people together across whatever may be dividing them. I don't care if it's, you know, you think that people with gray hair are useless or, you know, people who are this or that, but being able to exert the kind of ideally positive influence by casting a vision, by by putting out there, come, come join this effort and together we will make our community a better place and doing so in such a way that people really want to become a part of that and will put aside their differences, will put aside their their fear that they're going to lose something if they join in and join in anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do is have people who can cast that kind of vision. That's what we're trying to do with the documentary is cast a vision that the way things are is not the way they have to be. It's short. It's under 40 minutes. So the ideal is for people to screen the documentary with their community groups and then have a conversation following of, what are some of the, are there some good ideas portrayed here that we could adapt to our community and then start forming the civil organizations that can put those into place? So that's really our uh, goal with this project is to encourage others to emulate San Antonio, create those communities and solve their own problems locally. So <clears throat> I guess in my eyes, it seems like there's, there are three possible paths, and that this is a simplistic view. Either other communities get on board with what San Antonio is doing, despite whatever, you know, hindrance they've had, ego, hubris, ideology, whatever. They either put that down and get on board with it. Number two would be the situation gets so bad that something it's no longer avoidable. The the cracks are too deep and meaningful to ignore. I mean we'll be looking back at 2023 San Francisco and say that was the good old days. It'll just be something jumped up a notch, just like another, like a Mad Max scenario where like this, that state has fallen or three. Uh, there would, yeah. Yeah. Or three, there would be some sort of private incentive. You would have something. And I know this sounds dystopian, but just trying to look at things in a completely pragmatic way is you would have, some giant corporation like Walmart or Amazon step in and go, you know, we'll, we'll turn this 22 acre thing into a 22,000 acre thing, but we get a tax break for doing it. Right. And thus it's their incentive. They can get employees and the, it'll be something like that. And that sounds dark, but I'm just trying to look at it in the most realistic ways. It seems to be one of those three go along complete and utter failure or some sort of private incentive. 
I, I was know. in Disneyland with my family last week, and I kept thinking, you know, we ought to just hire Disney to run all of our cities. <laughs> you know? That wouldn't be a it'd bad be, idea. And it'd, it'd be cheaper. You know, they're, they're clean, they're safe, there's no civil dis disruption. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything's surveilled. So, the trash system's um, like all like underground, so you don't see anything. And if no, right. if somebody's smiling, we'll just take them out. Or somebody's not smiling, we'll just remove them. You got to be smiling. <laughs> well, actually, I was a little distressed by some of the the people there is they didn't seem very the the customers not the staff didn't seem very disney oriented but you know it takes all kinds oh. um but as your friend who was working security you mentioned last year because uh you know we don't have enough police and frankly one problem we have in this country is we've demoralized and made being a, being a, a police person uh, not a st status type job anymore. Um, so we do have these private security firms now, but that's actually quite a good model too of a way communities solve their own problems. You know, you have things like the guardian angels, which are highly effective here in Oakland. A few years ago, we were having a crime spree um, in a business district called the Lakeshore district and the guardian angels came in and whoop, you know, the uh, criminals know not to be there. And it's just standard, traditional model of policing, right? Presence and deterrence. And that's what most of these security, private security firms, we have one in my home neighborhood, um, that's their model. They assign one agent to the neighborhood. The agent gets to know the patterns of that neighborhood, knows the people that are generally there. And we have a huge public school in the middle of the neighborhood. So we have, you know, a thousand kids coming through every day, so there's a lot to sort of grasp of. Okay, this is this isn't this is normal. This isn't normal, but they get to know what what the neighborhood uh, flow is like. And when they see something out of place, literally they'll just approach somebody and say, "You know, are you looking for something? May I help you find what you're looking for?" Hmm. And that makes that person either first either it helps that person find what they're looking for, or if it's somebody out for no good, it puts them on alert that somebody's paying attention and they should just go do their bad stuff someplace else. <clears throat> so these there and neighborhood watch associations. Um, we did a book several years ago about that included a case study of these these grand, grandmothers in Baltimore who use their brooms to just go out in the streets and, and literally brush the drug dealers off their, out of their streets. Um, again, in Oakland, there was a group several years ago that would just meet for cop, coffee, neighbors meet for coffee on the street corner in a neighborhood that was having problems. And that drove uh, the people who were causing the problems away from you know their area. So there's lots of things we can do as as individual community members, um, short of having to turn it over to a police state. Um, and these ideas are taking hold, and the ideas of how to address homelessness um, are taking hold. Um, it's a lot of it is just people have been told, you know, pay your taxes. That's the government's job, and we have to explain to them that. That's not necessarily the government's job. You can be part of the solution. It's and it is important that you be part of the solution. And let's show you some some of these examples, like I just went through, of how you can be part of the solution in your community. Um, we have to get power power back to the people, as they say. 
and it it seems like it's gonna be one or the other. You're either gonna have a <clears throat> a good system, or you're gonna have someone take advantage of the system and go, "Why would I care about making this better? I'm just gonna, you know, I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm gonna make Tommy's private security force and cash in on the collapsed state or collapsed city." It kind of like we there's no there's no timeout. There's no there's no pressing pause on the video game and saying, I don't want to play. Like one of these things is going to happen. And I I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how it, the San Antonio model is going to, sp- sp- I mean, I guess the goodwill of other leaders, I, I hope, or your documentary or this, this podcast or. Well, I think, you know, pe- again, people are waking up to seeing, you know, this is, this is a horrible situation. I don't want to live in a community like this. And so they can either leave, which has happened a lot. From We've had a huge exodus from San Francisco and from California. Or they can choose to stay and get involved in the solutions. And I'm seeing a lot of that in San Francisco. And we're hoping that we can make San Francisco an example for other cities to, to emulate that, you know, it got this bad here. And we were able to uh, address it and come to a happy ending. I have tremendous faith rooted in the study of history that uh, human creativity is a force to be reckoned with. And all those people who bemoan, you know, population growth are t- fail, and how it's going to end up, everybody's going to die because there are too many people in the world, are failing to take into account the tremendous value of the human brain. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, we get more and more billions of people and none of these disasters that first Malthus and then more recently Paul Elric, and why anybody still listens to Paul Elric after he's been proven wrong for four decades and yet 60 Minutes still pulls them in. <laughs> and trots them out in front of people about the population bomb killing us all. Uh, It's just foolish. The world just keeps getting better. More people come out of poverty. You know, the life of of everybody, even people who are living in the street, by and large, have a better quality of life than the average person had 200 years ago. So, you know, we have to keep our eye on the context and we have to keep our eye on what solves problems. And it's 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 creativity, it's enterprise, you know, entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship is a powerful uh, problem solver. And we need to get out of the way of social entrepreneurs and let them try different things and see what, you know, make, no one answer is gonna do it. Uh, there is no one size fits all solution to anything. It's a lot of solutions, and we need as much choice in how homeless uh, that people experiencing homelessness are helped, as we need choice in anything else in our lives. You know. Yeah, human creativity does seem to be the X factor, where at the very least, the desire to not go hungry or go without, you know, access to energy and electricity it does drive it forward. Like that is right. Necessity is the mother of invention. And, and it helps everybody else in the process, you know, it I, does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I so. mean, I, I'm a, you know, I'm, I make an average amount of money a year doing this podcast, but my life is, you know, it's probably better than anyone alive in 19, 
23. I mean, yeah. so, even a King or a Rockefeller or a Carnegie, I mean, they didn't have Uber Eats. They didn't have a flat screen television, right? I mean, no, I no. mean, truly, it's an average Joe has a better life than the titans of a century ago. And yeah, my grandmother had no indoor plumbing, and you know they 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 spent all day doing you know laundry took all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's I don't. That's a good point. So. Is the is the it's human ingenuity? I do believe will will drive it forward and. I think not looking towards that isn't Malthusian or, or Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates. It's not that you're more realistic than anyone and you're not afraid to make the cold, hard decisions. No, it kind of makes me just think that they're stupid. They're looking at it and they're going, it can't be done. You're looking at a wall and going, well, we can't go there. And someone with two brain cells goes, why don't we just build a ladder? Like, it doesn't make me think higher of them. It makes me think much, much less of them. They're looking at it and going, we can't figure it out. This is it. This is the end all be all. And that's not the case at all. Like we didn't, we haven't progressed every year for the last 10,000 years from walking around naked and being hunter gatherers to you can buy a ticket on a double decker uh, plane and fly across the ocean while watching a movie. Like it doesn't just stop. Yeah. And it's, it's not just evolutionary. Of course, it's also highly dependent on the, on the, the organization of the economy and how well, much sure. liberty, how much liberty people have have to innovate and to sure. um, improve things, but and again, I don't I don't think it's stupidity. It's just it's it's being subjected to a very flawed worldview, and um, it's it's hard to change your worldview, uh, and uh, I understand that. And we're we're trying to be very inclusive and very positive, and say look, we all agree that this is a problem that needs to be solved, and this is something that we can come together across divides and solve together. So hopefully that will be an approach that uh, is ultimately successful in our goal, which is to cease the suffering of humans and improve the civil society of our communities. Absolutely. Well, we're. <clears throat> I'm going to have to sign off in a second. I was second. about to I say, well, we're coming up on an hour, so let's wrap this okay. one up. the The website and the documentary, and, and I don't, I don't think I put your Twitter. I'll put your Twitter in the description as well. Um, everybody, please go check it out. And anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, I'll just repeat it. At the film is called Beyond Homeless: Finding Hope, and the website is beyondhomeless.org. And I very much appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, and hope that it's been helpful to your your viewers and listeners and we always welcome uh, there's contact information on our website if people have questions or they want to learn more I'm wide open to being contacted well thank you for what you're doing thank you for coming on here i think you're you're doing god's work and uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm i just sit here and turn on the turn on the camera you you did all the work i sat here and asked, <laughs> a, asked silly questions no you're you're communicating and that's that's really ultimately what people need is is access to information so you're providing a valuable service and isn't it fun to get up every day and be excited about what we're doing yeah absolutely absolutely and it's 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 also just there are very few you know objectively true things in the world but this is a good thing like you're, you're doing a good you can go to bed and just be like i did the right thing like that's yep. that that that's some inner peace that i think doesn't have a price but well, that's what we all want and help you. Thank you so much for helping people 
know what direction to follow. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for coming on here. Guys and gals. Take care. Go check out all the websites, all that in the description. Mary, thank you so much. I'd love to have you on here. I'd love to have you back on here sometime. And again, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Tommy. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes, ma'am. You as well. Thank you, everybody. Recording stopped. Peace.